And with that, we welcome you back into the One Giant Podcast. As always, I am Adam Marbrecht, and that is Andy Makowitz. How are you, sir? I'm good, Adam. What is shaking? Going back to the conversation I had had with Scott Mason, you and I talked about it again as well. This number out there that Leonard Williams is looking to make in that $15 million a year range, I think it's a concern for me. I, I, I certainly think it scares you away from wanting to bring him back in. But I thought just because he's saying that number doesn't mean that that's what the market is going to uh, bear for his, for his services when he, if he gets to free agency, if he tests those waters. The Giants let him do that. Let's set the parameters like this. Because some of the other reports are the baseline kind of area would be $10 million pushing toward upwards toward 12 potentially. So let's say that Leonard Williams' contract looks like $12.5 million a year with some incentives involved there, right? If the Giants make the playoffs, if he gets listed out as a top five at the position kind of thing based on stats, that he could end up making upwards of 15 or $16 million, which would be fine if we were getting that top-tier talent at the position. If those are the parameters that you're looking at, Andy, let's say $12.5 million a year on a, on a four-year contract, do you want him back knowing that it turns next year's draft selection in the fifth round into a fourth for the New York Jets? Or do you think that the best case scenario here for the Giants is to cut ties and move on through free agency in the draft and accept that they gave away uh, some valuable assets? For me, I, I've been on the fence about it. And I think if the contract was like I just laid out there, around $12.5 million, I might go ahead and push forward for it. If the market starts to say that he can get $15 million or higher out there in free agency, I probably cut my losses and I think about where can I utilize the difference there of 3 or $4 million in free agency to supplement some of the big signings that we have. So I've gone back and forth on this as well. I like Leonard Williams, the player. I would love to see him back as a giant. I just can't figure out what the number is that makes him valuable to keep for the Giants. I think I've already uh, been out there saying that $15 million, I is way too rich for my blood. When you start getting down to, to $12 million, I'm, I'm starting to cringe a little bit because that feels like a lot. You know, I, and I think that's kind of the break-even number. I think at $10 million, you'd love to have a guy that gets as much uh, pressures on the quarterback as, as Leonard Williams. But let's keep in mind that not every single free agent wants to come to the New York Giants. So the, the yeah. question is, who, who are we not getting by signing Leonard Williams? Like, if we know that Yannick Ngakwe, through back channels, wants to come to the Giants, and he's willing to take $18, $19 million a year, would you rather have Leonard Williams at $12 million a year, or would you rather have Ngakwe at eighteen? The problem is, if you don't know if Ngakwe is going to come, or any of the top-end edge rushers, you know, uh, it's tough to figure out what you're going to get in free agency better than Leonard Williams. And it's not just to your point. It isn't just about the money you spend, but it's maybe about what you lose out on and not just at similar positions or on the defensive side of the ball. Where else can you not spend free agency money if you're choosing to bring back Leonard Williams? And let's say you still want to target Ngakwe, right? Maybe you want these guys to both be a part of this and how much money are you locking up there on the defensive side of the ball? And where does it limit you maybe on the offensive side of things? If you want to bring in someone along the line or maybe a positional need, we've heard some rumors about wide receiver being something that the giants may look at in free agency as well. So I, I think you're right. There is that concern there. And just to be clear, and you can close out your thoughts on this as well Is I think if I, <laughs> not, I think, if it's push come to shove and it's one or the other, I want to bring in Ngakwe for the way that he moves the needle in terms of getting after the quarterback in a different way 
then I think we have some other pieces on the team currently in Tomlinson, even in BJ Hill, obviously in Dexter Lawrence, that can do some similar things. Bringing in Ngakwe creates a new dimension for the defense that Leonard Williams might not. So I agree with you wholeheartedly on that piece. And I think uh, Paul Schwartz last night from the New York Post wrote a great article about how, you know, the day of reckoning is coming for the Giants. And uh, free agency period starts on March 18th. But there's a couple different things that I want to make clear that Paul does in, in, in his article, which I think is important in this discussion. The first thing is, if Leonard Williams hits free agency, Paul Schwartz is reporting that even if the Giants re-sign him, then it won't go down from a fifth round pick down to a fourth. So if he becomes a free agent and doesn't sign with the Giants in that two-week window from February 25th to, to March 18th or whatever it is, apparently we don't move that compensation pick down because he technically became a free agent. I find that interesting because if you're Leonard Williams and you're talking to the Giants, if you kind of put a handshake agreement together and then you just sign it a couple days later, you're actually helping the team that you're investing in. That's the first thing that I find fascinating about this. The second piece of it is Dave Gettleman is still doubling down on this compensatory pick situation where he's basically saying, if we don't sign Leonard Williams, I'm confident we're getting a third round pick for him. And that means all we gave up was a fifth round pick to see if he was the guy of the future. Now, a lot of smart people who understand how the compensatory picks work in terms of how much free agency is going out and what's coming in are not agreeing with Gettleman. Uh, but I think it's noteworthy to say, look, the Giants could save a pick if they wait till March 18th to sign him. And also, if Leonard Williams leaves and we get Ngakwe, we get that third round pick back, albeit a year later. That's inter- that is interesting as well. And I guess it, it really will depend on how much are we bringing in, right? That, that can dictate a lot of it. So maybe philosophically, if the Giants are approaching this offseason and saying, we're going to build with what we have through the draft. Maybe they're not going to spend as much or bring in as many free agents as maybe we might hope or think, et cetera. You know, when are they going to spend this money that they have there? And, and that can dictate how those compensatory picks play out coming a year later. So certainly something to keep an eye on. And, that, and those are very worthwhile notes because I didn't realize that if they let them get out to free agency, then all of a sudden you eliminate that fifth becoming a fourth, which you know, is not insignificant. Fifth round and fourth round talents, obviously very greatly when we talk about the draft. And even though it would be the back end of the fourth, you're still talking about being able to guy to get a guy that could come in and be serviceable, be a backup rotational player and sub packages defensively, maybe a high end quality special teamer on the offensive side of the ball that can return some kicks and punts for you. So there is value there. And that'll be an important thing to keep an eye on as we get closer and closer uh, to what could be the deadline for, for Leonard Williams and whether or not he will return as a giant we now switch our attention here to the nfl draft as everyone knows we did our first mock draft and we set up some parameters for that just in terms of who we were targeting in free agency uh, and, and what we thought the giants would try to address there within the draft we also of course set up our no trade down policy in that one before we dive into it Andy did a great job taking a look at the top four offensive tackles in the draft. These are all players, names that we're familiar with, Wills, Thomas, Wirfs, Becton, that are all going to be going, you would think, within the top 15, most likely, uh, certainly some guys at the high end of that draft within the first five or six picks. So we're going to cut away here for a second to get Andy's thoughts and then come back in with a couple of interesting scenarios that we want to talk out. So first... I'll start with Jedrick Willis. Jedrick Wills is the offensive tackle at Alabama. He has great height at 6'5", great weight at 320 pounds, 
and he's only 20 years old. Um, it says something when you start 28 straight games for Nick Saban in Alabama, and he did that across his sophomore and junior seasons. He is a guy that is super strong. He is aggressive and powerful. And, and what you'll notice is if you watch tape of him, and you can go on YouTube and, and Google Jedrick Wills, he has some blocks that uh, are very YouTube worthy. Um, he blocks very well in the run as well as the pass. And to me, it's no wonder why Adam really loves uh, Wills as one of the as the main number one pick during, that we did during our mock draft at number four. Um, shifting gears over to the guy that I thought the Giants would potentially select, and that's Andrew Thomas. He is the offensive tackle at Georgia. He, funnily enough, has the same uh, attributes as Wills when it comes to height and weight. He's six foot five, three hundred twenty pounds. He's twenty one years old. Um, Andrew Thomas actually started every single game in his uh, freshman year, twenty seventeen, at right tackle for the University of Georgia. Uh, he played so well that for the last two years, in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. He's been dominating the left tackle position uh, for Georgia in that run game. Um, he is very athletic. Uh, a lot of scouts seem to think that Andrew Thomas is good at you know both pass and the rush. Um, he's, I mean, if you watch any of his film, uh, which I did, you know, I sat down and made sure to watch quite a bit of tape on a lot of these guys. You look at the rushing attack that Georgia has had, and some of the running backs that they've produced over the last couple of years. Um, this past season with DeAndre Swift, uh, when I watched on YouTube, I just saw a constant, constant opening on the left-hand side for DeAndre Swift to run through. Um, it, it, I mean, when you think about how that translates for the Giants, it immediately will help Saquon Barkley. It'll immediately help the run game. And I, I think that he is one of those guys that's relatively solid in pass blocking, probably could uh, improve a little bit over there. Um, but one of the reasons why I like Andrew Thomas so much is the fact that he has already had two seasons in the SEC blocking at the left tackle position and moving over won't be too much, uh, too much of a task for him in the NFL. Transferring over, the next uh, individual and, and, and draftee I wanted to approach was Mackay Becton. Uh, he's the offensive tackle at Louisville. He is an enormous human being. He is six foot seven, 369 pounds. He is much bigger than some of the other guys profiled. He is only 20 years old. And, you know, what's noteworthy about him is he started uh, 11 of the first 13 games as a freshman at Louisville. Uh, and then he started every single game since at the left tackle position. Now, because he is just a freak of nature, um, he is considered a little bit of a project compared to some of the other offensive tackles in the draft. His raw talent is just jumping off the page. You can see for his size, his athleticism is incredible. You, you don't expect someone that's almost 400 pounds to be able to move the way that he does. Um, you know, with that said, with that size, some of the fundamentals around his feet uh, may need some work. But honestly, as, as one of the old adages says, you, you really just can't teach size. Now, with Becton, I'm, I'm a little hesitant, uh, probably because I am a Giant fan. And I remember hearing a lot of the same things being said about Eric Flowers going into the 2015 draft. And uh, we ended up taking uh, him with the ninth pick overall. 
And it was a project that never seemed to come to fruition. And uh, we moved Eric Flowers around from left tackle to right tackle. He boun- he's bounced around the league a little bit ever since. Uh, but he never really came to fruition. And I'm kind of leaning on the idea of taking someone that's a little bit more seasoned that uh, may not have necessarily the upside of Becton, but someone that we can plug in and will immediately add value. And speaking of someone that would do that, you know, the last person that I wanted to highlight was Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle at Iowa. He is right around the same size as Wills and Thomas. He is six foot five, 322 pounds. Um, like Wills, he also mans the right tackle position. Um, he, he's had so much experience in the Big Ten. Uh, he started 31 games straight, and he's played in 40 games straight for Iowa. So it's not one of those things where he's a flash in the pan and had five great games, and a lot of those games coming up against amazing competition uh, in the Big Ten. He has raw and pure power. It's something that as we get closer to the combine, I think it is is going to be one of the standouts. I think of, of all four of the different offensive tackles, I think his bench press and some of his lifting is going to be off the charts and it may vault him up into that discussion for the first pick. I think a lot of people are saying he's a top 20 pick today. I think that'll move down to a top seven or eight pick by the time the combine comes out. Um, what I find interesting is, is most scouts like his technical abilities and, and they do like his IQ, but they don't love his film as much as I do, which is crazy when I watch him. He has the ability to get to the second level after making a great plot, uh, block in, in, the, in, in the run game. And in pass protection, you rarely ever saw anyone you know, be able to, to get the edge and get by him for a sack. Um, it's funny because when you when you listen to some of these different uh, scouts and analysts, some of them say he his biggest strength is in pass protection, and other ones say his biggest weakness is pass protection. It seems like everyone's just looking for a reason to not like the upside that Tristan Wirfs provides. Um, the other big thing about him, uh, which is why uh, if you've listened to the One Giant podcast, I've been a huge Tristan Wirfs fan all season, is because I really do think he is extremely versatile at the, at the next level. Um, while he's played at the right tackle position, he can move over to the left tackle position or projects to be um, a starting left tackle in the NFL. And, and there's some people even saying that uh, if you don't want him on the outside or you're worried about um, his, his size and his arm length and, and, and different things like that, he can translate and looks to project to be an all-pro guard if that's something you want to do. So certainly a lot of flexibility around Tristan Wirfs. And you know, what, I, what I find interesting about all four of these uh, different offensive tackles is they are unique and they do bring different skill sets. And as I said before, out of the four, I think Becton provides the biggest upside of all four of these offensive tackles. I think Andrew Thomas is probably the safest. Um, considering he has had two full seasons in the SEC playing left tackle and did it admirably. And that's the reason why I project him to be the number four overall pick to the New York Giants. You know, we, we highlighted that in our draft scenario, our first mock draft, we didn't have any trade downs. But when you start to look over this, the quality of these players, do you think that at that fourth overall pick, if Thomas is there and available, and we're also receiving trade-down offers. 
Do you want to lock in and take Thomas because you feel like he's a clear cut and you have the experience at the left tackle position? Or would you be comfortable possibly trading down, let's say the scenario with the Cleveland Browns, trading down to 10, picking up two third-round picks, and then getting either Wills or Wirfs as they fall to you at 10? Because most draft scenarios have one of those guys being available. And if they weren't, how much of the drop-off do you think is there in terms of talent with Becton? And would you have a concern and maybe not want to risk trading that far down? To, to be fair to Becton, he did play uh, left tackle at Louisville. So there isn't uh, the transition of moving from right tackle to left like there is with, with Wills and Wirfs. Mm. Uh, but when I look at his tape, I, as I said uh, in my breakdown, I just have, you know, this anxiety from the 2015 draft where we took Eric Flowers number nine overall and people were saying the exact same things that they're saying about Becton. Now in this trade scenario that you're talking about, I would be comfortable with it if I knew that one of the top three premier offensive tackles would still be there. Mm -hmm. So if you told me, would I make the trade knowing that we would land on Becton? I would say, no, I wouldn't do the trade. I would take Thomas who seems like the safe, bet to be a top 15 left tackle in the league out of all of them um, but if you said one of those three was going to be there we pick up some assets I think the differences between Worf's Wills um, and, and my guy Thomas is very negligible and it's worth picking up that extra first round pick yeah and I guess too, to to couple along with it when you talk about going out of 10 would you be like you said, you, you'd be fine getting locked into one of the top three at the 10th overall pick. Is there enough value outside of the offensive tackle position there where you feel like you could get a quality player that isn't on the line? Or is this a scenario? Because for me, I look at it and I think about the trade down and getting those extra assets. You talk about the top end of the second round, a lot of scenarios where maybe we can get McKinney at the safety position. I think that's a valuable pickup there. But it feels like if you don't get one of these tackles here at the top end of the draft, then you're not going to get a, a necessarily a plug-in, let him go ahead and hit the ground running and be your starter coming into this, to this season. Is that basically a must-have for you coming out of the first round and when you look back at the second or third round? Or do you feel like, I'll trade down and possibly risk another team maybe seeing that works is still available at, at, at 10 and tries to jump up to nine somehow, right. To get there and get a tackle for themselves. And then we're left with best available on the board and our tackle scenario has kind of gotten away from us. That's, that's the scary scenario for me. It, if the giants are willing to make this trade uh, to move back to anywhere outside the top 10, mm -hmm. uh, let's say they move to 12 or 13. That means that they are okay with potentially losing out on the top four offensive tackles. Um, there is the offensive tackle, I believe his name's Jackson from, from USC, who's going in, in the top 25. He's probably the next tier of offensive tackles. Do you reach for you know, the top 25 offensive tackle at 12 or 13? Seems like a stretch. I think at that point, I start thinking, you know, I've gone into this draft thinking we absolutely unequivocally need an offensive tackle in the first round. If mm. we trade back and we strike out on having one of those top four available, and even though I don't see wide receiver as the biggest need, if a guy like Jerry Judy is sitting there at like 12, uh, when you think about the value that you're getting for a number one wide receiver there, that's something that you have to consider knowing that the best available offensive tackle is probably. 20 picks later in terms of, of just overall value. 
Yeah, there's some guys out there. Uh, boy, I hate to mess up his name here, but Prince Tega Wanagoho out of Auburn that I think has a lot of promise. Again, he's that kind of guy where it's not the top-end talent. I think he could end up playing to the top-end talent over the course of his NFL career, but it's not something that you're going to risk in that middle of the first round. This is a guy that – if at the top of the second you saw him available there, maybe you pull the trigger on based on what you've done in the first round. You know, that 12th overall pick that you mentioned, that's kind of that Las Vegas Raiders scenario where you're picking up two picks from them, uh, you know, two first round selections there. And if the Giants made that trade out, maybe to your point, then you're saying, we, we accept that we're probably not going to get a tackle here, but not unlike maybe last year, what we're going to do is get two quality players here in the first round. It, to be honest with you, in that scenario, I might look at it, and like you said, maybe it's Jerry Judy, maybe uh, there, there's a defensive player on the board that you like, whatever it is, best available because we have plenty of holes to plug in. I would then be open at 19 to trading back there and giving ourselves some extra assets again in, this, in the second and third rounds potentially because as we've highlighted, so many holes to fill, maybe the best use of, of your assets is to try to do – listen – we have Joe Judge, the head coach, right? What's the Patriot way? Accumulation of assets. So I think if you're playing the, the smart game here, you keep trying to shuffle these selections here, bringing in the highest quality available and then supplementing with some extra assets. And when you get to those middle rounds, all of a sudden you find yourself giving great depth at a lot of positions where you have those needs. Yeah, and, and to, to me, there's a, a few different strategies. You know, the Giants have to be comfortable. Get, Dave Gettleman has never traded down ever. He's always traded up. Um, so he's not a guy that's really accustomed to accumulating more picks and giving up a guy that he may fall in love with at the combine. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I do think, you know, we talk about this all the time, but free agency is really going to shape this strategy. You talked about your affinity for Conklin um, on the right side. If, if we get him, uh, I, I can understand maybe trading back and, and not being concerned with taking an offensive tackle early if, if the value isn't there, mm. but, but it's, but it's really tough for me. If, if we don't get a, a, a top tier top five offensive tackle in the first 10 or 12 picks, you know, then we're basically saying we believe in Nick Gates starting at right tackle, or we're signing Conklin or we're drafting a center in the second round and, and we're going to make it work with soldier on the, on the left-hand side, which to me seems like a much riskier proposition than taking the bird in the hand, taking someone like Thomas at four, plugging him in on the left side and having Daniel Jones protected for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to agree with you that it's just, you need to know what you have, right? And that's at the end of the day, you can't have these risky scenarios playing out for the giants. So I think whatever the strategy is, and even some of those rumors around, you know, paint, paint that picture that I had a, a few, a few weeks ago, we talked about free agency of maybe Gettleman, you know, and by the way, we keep saying Gettleman. This is kind of a Gettleman slash Joe Judge. I don't know how people look at it from the outside, but I very much feel like the hiring of Joe Judge, he's involved in terms of the decision-making process here. I think that there is a much closer to 50-50 value in terms of perspectives. I'm not saying that's what the percentage is, but it's closer to that than the lower end of the spectrum. I think that the Giants hired Joe Judge because they believe in his player evaluation. So, you know, don't be surprised if some things happen that may be a departure from what Gettleman, the players that Gettleman may have brought in here, right? Making some difficult decisions and having Joe Judge has the ability to say, I think we should move on from this player at this position. I think we need to bring in this guy in free agency. So from that standpoint, 
you know, you could see maybe multiple guys get brought in free agency across the offensive line. Doesn't mean all big dollar sign guys, but they can be reshuffling this line in a lot of different ways, including the draft. So uh, to your point, it's going to play out here as you get into free agency, certainly, but there's going to be a lot of moving pieces for the Giants and it's going to be, I don't know, exciting, I want to say, but also probably nerve wracking. It is probably the more accurate because every move that happens or doesn't happen in free agency, you're going to go, well, that's it. You know, or like, well, then they better do this at the draft. You know, it's going to be right on the edge the whole way through on this. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. It's like that roller coaster that you instantly regret when it locks you into place. You're like, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know how I'm going to feel. <laughs> I might throw up. I, I, I might faint in the middle of this. Uh, but then at the end, you could get off and say that was the best ride I've ever had. So I, mm. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. But you brought up one, one good point, and I'll leave it at that, uh, is – Joe Judge is coming in. It is going to be interesting to see how much of a say he gets over some of the player personnel. You know, guys like Bill Belichick have autonomy and they can kind of do whatever they want with the exception of Tom Brady. Um, I, I'm curious to see, you know, Leonard Williams was a Dave Gettleman trade midseason. If Joe Judge comes in and says, man, we have salary cap space. You want to spend $15 million on that guy when I know Kyle Van Noy, even though I'm not a fan, he, he knows what he's getting with Kyle Van Noy or he sees a different place where he wants to allocate the funds. I'm curious to see this year how much of, a, of a, an imprint Judge gets to have on some of these decisions. And I think it's going to be loud and clear with how things go with Leonard Williams. If he's here, I believe that he gave a thumbs up or Gettleman completely said, I'm running this, you just coached the team. If he's not here, I could see a lot of impact of Joe Judge saying the money should be spent elsewhere. A couple of scenarios we talked about from our mock draft. I had mentioned how, you know, I kind of got caught into value on the board and selecting a, a Zach Moss there. On top of your head, when did you have you had the uh, you had the Giants taking AJ Dillon, correct? I did have them taking AJ Dillon. And that's coming in like the would you have in the fourth or fifth round, maybe that you had that selection? I can I want to double check. I, I did. It. I have them. I have him in the fifth round, I believe. Okay. So the reason why I wanted to touch on this, by the way, is because as we had said, you go through these mock draft scenarios, sometimes, especially in these later rounds, you're getting onto some names where you have to do a little bit more research than some of those other ones uh, that you're a little more familiar with. And AJ Dillon on the back end of this, when I was putting together our little social media posts, I really started to look at him and I, and I really thought about how tremendous value pick. I talked about, oh, Zach Moss, the talent is there. He could go a lot higher. When he falls to the top of the fourth, the Giants, you know, maybe have to consider taking him to have another weapon. But I started looking at A.J. Dillon. I tell you what, if the Giants were lucky enough to have that option there at the top of the fourth round, I think that this would be an incredibly strong selection for the Giants. He would bring in, obviously, depth behind Saquon Barkley. But you're talking about high-end talent, right? And he gets listed there in some scenarios as like running back slash fullback because he has power. He's not fast in terms of his projected 40 time, but a six foot 245 player that can go between the tackles for you, provide you with some of that pass blocking as well, give you some dynamic scenarios where he and Saquon Barkley could be in the backfield together and provide defenses with multiple looks. I just want to say, I thought if that guy's available there, fantastic. And just from a mock draft standpoint, I think that was a really strong selection by you. Thanks, Adam. Well, that makes me feel really good. You know what I was thinking of? I conjured up the days of thunder and lightning uh, for the Giants. And, you know, I have uh, some, some family relatives that uh, are, are Boston College fans, Boston College graduates. And, uh, you know, all year they said, you got to take a look at AJ Dillon. He is an absolute beast. You know, he, he runs so hard that he does get injured from time to time. But man, between the tackles, he is an absolute monster. And I thought, 
you know, we want Barkley to get out into space and he, you know, we want to show up the offensive line. If we could get someone like AJ Dillon in one of those late round selections, it would be one of the perfect compliments. And I kind of think he's the guy where if, you know, Saquon Barkley's out per game or so, he can probably carry, carry the load of 15 carries in a game and, and still be serviceable. So I don't, yeah, I, I appreciate that you, you took a look at AJ Dillon. I think if he's there late, he would be a, a steal. And kudos to you for talking about Moss because that got me thinking about our running back situation. And I thought to myself, man, if, if we get in the late rounds and, and there's somebody there, you know, he, you know, Adam's right. I, I think we got to start looking at someone to, to back up Barkley because it kind of was a hodgepodge this year. Yeah, and I think that's the difference, right? You look around the league, you talk about some of the better teams. Even if you have a top-end talent at running back, you still need to have the, the quote-unquote change of pace guy. You just need to have the ability to bring someone in that lets your star back get fresh legs on the sidelines for a minute. And, and while I've always been fond of Wayne Goldman, you know, he's not moving the needle for us. Obviously, you don't expect him to be back. You just need to bring someone in that, that certainly allows you to kind of go with confidence, even when you need to take Saquon Barkley off the field at times. And then in addition I do think underneath Joe Judge you're going to talk about putting players in the best position to excel at what they're great at well that's getting Saquon Barkley in space swing passes out of the backfield you want to run that that RPO opportunity uh, with Daniel Jones so I expect to see Saquon doing a lot more work you know short passes and then let him and let him try to get downfield with that get him into open space so having the balance with a running back like Dylan would make a ton of sense the, the other thing noteworthy here that I thought, looking over my own draft personally, there's a couple of notes here. I've been saying that I've been pretty high on Evan Weaver out of Cal. The more research that I've done on him, I, I don't necessarily think that he shouldn't be drafted by the Giants, but we were talking about some of these trade-down scenarios and having multiple looks in that third round. I dove inside uh, Weaver a little bit more. I think athletic, athletic limitations on him are going to hurt him, certainly. So, you know, even though he is a strong player, does everything pretty well, he's probably going to look to be involved in some sub-package scenarios as opposed to being a starter you want to plug in on the defensive side of the ball. And in that case, third round, I think there's more valuable assets that you could look to get in the draft as opposed to him. So I'd probably earmark him for more of fourth, fifth round selection, depending on where else we've gone. The last piece that I'll also touch on, I think you kind of made this point as well. Uh, I'm a little bit on the edge here. I've been doing these mock drafts, man. Uh, for, for real quick, how many mock drafts have you run through since we got on to, to Fanspeak? I, I was just telling my wife this morning, I'm like, I think I've done no less than 200 mock, yeah. mock drafts so far. I'm like, and each one takes a little bit of time because yeah, you can you can look at the first pick, but I, I'm going into the sixth round, and I'm like I'm having to do heavy research into like 250 different players based on the needs of the Giants, and that is that's a lot of football players. Let me tell you. Oh, it, it's been daunting, and the, the funny thing is too, because uh, Courtney had asked me, she goes, "Oh, how you like it?" I'm like, "It's awesome." Also. It's insane because you get yourself to like the second round. All of a sudden we say, well, let's talk trade down scenarios. Maybe I don't trade down at the fourth overall pick, but now maybe I'll come back a little bit at the top of the second round. I'll work through that. But then by the third round I go, all right, well, this scenario doesn't matter as much anymore. Let's start over again. And I keep, you know, keep recycling this thing and thinking about, well, what players keep you know, consistently coming up in this area of the draft? Okay, so that means trading down here makes sense and not trading down here over there. So I've been losing my mind on it in, in a great way. And one of the things that I've, that I've come away, the takeaways that I've had from this is 
We talked about offensive line. The center position, I think, is important. And I, I do believe that Joe Judge comes into the Giants and says, you know, you can say that Jalapio could be serviceable, quote-unquote. We know he has Spencer Pulley behind him. But I think we're looking to, to replace our center position as well. That second-round pick there, top of the second, especially if McKinney is available, it probably is easier to go that route. I think he's just, you know, hands down a quality player to take it safety there. But I started to go into those center positions where you think you want to plug that guy in. Obviously, uh, Tyler, excuse me, Baidez is there from Wisconsin. You go into a guy like Jake Hansen. He's pretty valuable as well. You start to drop off when you get down to a guy like uh, Cesar Ruiz, who they think can come in and could probably compete maybe for a starting job, has some flexibility at the guard position. But then you're already starting to talk about depth, right? And that's third to fifth round where he can go. But it, even a guy like, uh, like Baidez out of, out of Wisconsin there, can go anywhere from the one to third round. I think there's enough value behind him in Hanson, who's two to four range, or even a Nick Harris out of Washington, third to fourth round. But if you want a guy to come and compete and potentially take over for Jalapio, and you can say, if he beats him out in training camp, great. If it's neck and neck and maybe Jalapio starts for you, it's okay. But I start to think center is too high to be selecting in the second round. I think you have to go third round and below for him. Obviously, the issue there is that we're compensatory picks, so you're really talking about top of the fourth round if we don't trade down. But I think that was another tip of the hat to you where we had talked about these mock drafts and saying, boy, center, you know, there's enough value there when you get into a couple of these later rounds. You don't necessarily – it's not a reach, but same thing with wide receiver, right? You don't have to go wide receiver in the second round because there's still going to be value even at the back end of the third. So that's another interesting area that I'm starting to look at here when we talk about this draft class and how far back can you go and still get a high-quality player that can compete for a starting role for this team? Yeah, and, and that's one thing about centers that I learned uh, a, a few years back is that there are a lot of plug-and-play serviceable centers in the second round, when you're talking about the 35th overall pick or the 36th or you know, mid-30s, there are so many athletic, impactful players at positions that are very shallow. Like yeah. You talk about like an impact safety. You talk about um, you know, an edge rusher that can really get to the quarterback. Those are the types of players that don't grow on trees that really it's tough to, to find those gems. It, it's kind of like the way that uh, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers drafted um, – uh, Aguaya. What was what was the the kicker's name? Oh From yeah, of- I'm going to pronounce it about as bad as you just did. So just keep 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 going yeah. with it. Well, well, they they moved up into like the second round and took a kicker, and everyone's like, "Are you insane?" And that proved to be a terrible mistake because, right. as you can see, kickers get hot, they get cold, they they get moved in and out. And I kind of look at the center position not necessarily as as uh, replaceable as a kicker, but in a very similar fashion where people can plug into that role and there's way more depth at that position than some of these other premier positions where people get paid a ton of money. So that, that was just something that, that I noticed that I think if you look a little bit later on in the draft for running backs, now that we already have a, a first round running back and center, I think that, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, you can really start finding some hidden gems that, that can plug in and, and make an immediate impact. Yeah, and tying it into the Evan Weaver comment that I made earlier, that was another big piece of it, right? Because I started looking at, like you said, the linebacker room. We mentioned McKinney there at the safety position, but you start to look at these other positions and go, well, I tell you what, the drop-off in talent level 
and what you feel like you're getting on the field at the top of the second round, making the selection of a center versus what could be available in the third or fourth. And then you look at linebacker, safety, even cornerback. I mean, any, any of these positions, you go, oh boy, by the time I get back to the back end of that third and into the fourth, there's a drop-off in talent level there. There's a drop-off in knowing, am I plugging in a potential starter or am I already talking about drafting a guy that's more of a, a package player that comes in specific situations? So that kind of combines it as well, right? It's not just what the centers are and what's available behind them. It's also what are you passing up on drafting and are you going to be able to find a similar type talent, another what ends up being you know 30 picks later, 30 plus picks later uh, for the Giants in the third and then top of the fourth round. So yeah, 100%, man. Those are just a couple of things that I kind of took away from it almost immediately after doing the mock draft that I texted you. I was like, oh my God, I just... I feel like the moss, uh, you know, I got so excited. I'm doing all these mock drafts, and I finally picked. I said, this is the one I'm going to go with when we announce it. And then I started reading through some of the other ones. I'm like, oh, I should have done – that was the – I should have gone over here, man. That's a nice group of players that I got in that version. So, you know, but this is what it is to try to feather through these. So I think the next one that we probably do, I think we can start to look at these trade-down scenarios because as we highlight at the top of this podcast – you know, I, I, that feels like the best situation for the Giants. There is the caveat of, are we locked into getting one of those tackles? That's going to play a role, certainly. But it just feels like with the needs we have, uh, getting a couple extra picks in the later rounds is important. And I think in, in next week's podcast episode, uh, maybe on Monday or early next week, we'll kind of talk about, where the value of what we get in the third round if we trade down uh, with the Cleveland Browns. If we went the Las Vegas Raiders route, what can we accomplish with two picks in the first round as well to help, again, fill out needs and get potential starters across the board? That will do it for us here on this episode of the One Giant Podcast. We'll be coming back in as soon as possible. I'm not going to lay dates and times on it because things change, but we're going to come back in, keep breaking down some free agent looks. Obviously, Andy did a great job talking about the draft class and the top end of offensive tackles that are available. I'm going to go ahead and take a look at that linebacker group. We talked about Weaver there and maybe coming down off of how I evaluate him. We'll go ahead and highlight some of those top end talents and where we think the best area by round, the Giants should look to attack that positional need in the draft, regardless of what they do in free agency. Anything you want the people to know, Andy? No, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the linebacker breakdown. I've, I've only looked at a, at a couple of different linebackers, so this is going to be an education for me as well. We'll see what happens on the next episode of the One Giant Podcast. And as always, let's go Big Blue.